The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Thank you, Brian, for reading that passage. Grace and peace to you this morning. Um, what, what Brian read there in Colossians 3 is a very similar language to what we're going to encounter in Romans chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible, you might be uh, turning there, and we'll look at the first 14 verses in this chapter. Uh, We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're a visitor. We'd invite you to stay a little bit after services so we could get to know you and and meet you and greet you. Um, We do have a VBS meeting following services, so we'll just meet down here. We need to get some dates and things lined out and get ready for that Wonderful event that we do every summer. Romans chapter 6, let's begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Well, so after five chapters where Paul has talked extensively about sin and grace, he pauses here to consider a question. And the question that Paul contemplates is an important one. It gives us tremendous insight into the doctrine of grace. Paul asks this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, to some of us, this may seem like a silly question. Can we just live however we want to, expecting grace to cover our sins? Well, of course not. And Paul's going to explain why in just a moment. But before we look at his answer, we first need to understand the question. Why would Paul ask something like this? For two and a half chapters, he has focused on how we are saved by grace and not by law. Uh, No one is perfect, as, as Ron stated this morning. 
Everyone needs grace. And grace is the only thing that can save. The law only has power to condemn. It reveals our sinfulness. It reveals our shortcomings. It reminds us that we are not perfect. Grace accepts us warts and all. And so whenever you teach grace correctly, people are going to ask maybe some silly questions like the ones in Romans 6.1. Grace is controversial. It leaves salvation up to God. And people over the years like to make salvation about other things. We sometimes draw lines that limit God's grace. We make up rules that, that grace will not cover this or that. We want grace to cover our own sins, but maybe not some of those other sins. The truth is, the Bible never provides a list of what grace will and will not cover. Paul says we are saved by grace, period. We all struggle with different things. You know, some of us may struggle with being kind. Others may struggle with their temper. Uh, Some may not fully understand some important biblical doctrines. Others may not carve out enough time in their lives to help people like the Bible calls us to do. If every one of us would take a moment this morning and carefully consider his or her life, then we would discover that we all need grace for different reasons. The good news is that we are saved by grace. We can be assured of our salvation because our salvation is not dependent upon us. It is dependent upon God. Now, grace is so wonderful. It is such good news that it led some to ask, can we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perhaps the people who were asking this were sincere believers. Or it might have been that people who were asking this really didn't like Paul's teaching on grace. They may have thought it was just too lax, that it might lead some Christians to disregarding God's commands and doing whatever they wanted to do. There will always be people who push back against God's grace. This happened in the first century, and it's happened ever since. But Paul stands firm. He says that grace is not a free ticket to do whatever one likes. Yes, we are saved by grace. Grace will cover our sins. But we're also called to live a certain way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the gospel is defined as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. And these events stand at the center of our faith. In chapter 5 of Romans, Paul called our attention to the cross. He reminds us that the cross is an act of grace that none of us deserved. Jesus died for the ungodly. We are justified by grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. But at the same time, the cross calls us to a new way of living. Our life should be shaped by the cross. We are to live sacrificially. We are to live for others. We are to imitate Jesus as we are being transformed into his image. And there is one thing that we do that brings both of these aspects of the cross together, and it is baptism. 
And there's much going on in baptism. There are things happening that we do not see. Uh, It is a covenant between us and God. We are making a promise to be faithful to Him. It is akin to a marriage ceremony. Um, You even heard some of that language in the song that, that we sang prior to the lesson about the bridegroom and we are the bride. Uh, When you get married, you're blessed because you have someone on your side who has promised to always be for you. It also means that you are called to love and sacrifice for this person in return. And so your life changes once you get married. The covenant that you make with your spouse in the presence of God causes you to relate to the world differently. When we are baptized, we are binding ourselves to God. We receive blessings and we pledge to live holy lives. Baptism itself is a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen to the words of Paul again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin." And so baptism unites us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. We receive the blessings of the cross in baptism. But that's not all. In Romans 6.5, we're told that because we have been united with Jesus in his death through baptism, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. And so baptism gives us assurance of life beyond the grave. And this is not because of anything we have done, but because we receive the grace of God by being united to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so to say that baptism is unimportant or optional is to downplay the significance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is the gospel on display. It is a means of grace. It is a physical thing we do where we receive spiritual blessings. Like the Lord's Supper, it is a place where the physical and the spiritual meet. In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit In baptism, we encounter the risen Christ. In baptism, we are cleansed from our sins and we rise from the waters a new person. And this leads us to the second part of baptism. Romans 6 begins with a question about how Christians are to live. And Paul answers this question by pointing to baptism. Now, some may think that 
baptism is just about things in the past. You know, it's, it's just something that washes away our sins. It takes care of things that we've done prior to the moment we're baptized. And, and that's true. But baptism is also about our life now and our life in the future. Notice what Paul writes. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In baptism, we die to our old self. We are made alive to God in Christ Jesus. And death and sin no longer hold power over us. Jesus lives in us. Paul says the same thing in Galatians in a different way. I have been crucified with Christ. Where? How? In baptism. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live in the flesh. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so baptism is this continual reminder that we are called to live a cruciform-shaped life. Baptism is both a funeral and a celebration of new life. It is an end and a beginning. We are buried and resurrected. We die to ourselves only to experience the new life of Christ in us. It is a life of sacrifice. It is a life of holiness. It is a life where we practice forgiveness. It is a life of service. We live in a world where people are consumed with themselves. And if we're not careful, we can go through life thinking that we are at the center of the universe. Uh, We see everything through the lens of ourselves. But the gospel calls us to deny ourselves. It calls us to think of others and to serve him. Listen to how Paul describes this cross-shaped living in Philippians 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying there, have the mind of Christ. Think like Christ. Be consumed with Christ. What kind of mindset is that? Well, he explains who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do nothing from selfish ambition. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul is describing a life lived in the shadow of the cross. 
And we can easily go through life only focused on our needs and our concerns. You know, we make sure that we're taken care of whilst we spend little time thinking about the people around us. And people do this all the time. We might get frustrated at the person in front of us at the grocery store because they have more items than we do. We become upset at that car in our lane that's driving five miles under the speed limit. You know, we think poorly of the busy waitress who doesn't refill our drink quick enough. And when we do this, these may seem like little things, but we're only thinking of ourselves. And we forget that these are other people just like us, people with real-life problems, people created in the image of God. And that busy waitress might be working a double shift because she's a single mom and she's trying to provide for her family. And she may depend on the tips she receives to put food on the table. And yet we may selfishly hold back because she wasn't speedy enough. And the Jesus way of living says we are to consider the interests of others. And and these are opportunities to practice grace. Give a big tip even when your service is not that great. Be kind to that waitress. Ask her how her day is. Let someone go in front of you at the grocery store. And you can allow these little things to drive you crazy because you're only thinking of yourself. Or you can be like Jesus and think of others before thinking of yourself. And there's freedom in that. Our baptism makes us alive to God. It frees us from the slavery of sin. And it allows us to live the life that we were meant to live. We were created for a purpose, and that is to live like Jesus. And Jesus reveals what true humanity is supposed to be. We are justified by grace. We cannot be saved without grace. When we come before God, all we can do is cling to his grace. Jesus came to earth and died upon the cross so that we might have grace. But anyone who thinks that grace is a free ticket to do whatever one likes is abusing grace and is failing to trust in God. When we understand that God is for us and that he wants the best for us, then we will begin to live lives that reflect that. We will want to be like Jesus who because he was thinking of others and not himself went to the cross and died for you and me. And his life transforms us in multiple ways. We are transformed by the grace that he gives us and we are transformed by the new life that allows us to look beyond ourselves and to live for others. And so may we always be thankful of the blessings we received when we were baptized. And may we never forget that we died on that day only to be given new life and a new way of living. Let's pray.
Father, we're once again thankful for everything that you've done for us. We are thankful for your grace and mercy. We are thankful for our baptism, which reminds us of that ultimate sacrifice Jesus made and calls us to a new way of living. A way of living that gives us the blessing of new life, a resurrected life, and a way of living that is shaped by the cross. May we search for ways to sacrifice and to serve others. May we practice forgiveness wherever we can. May we show people your grace and your kindness and your mercy so that they may know more about you and come to know you and come to imitate you in their own lives. We're so thankful for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.